0: All right. Of course we gotta start with a joke, as always. And the story goes that uh there was a very, very uh wealthy man, but a terrible guy. And uh he dies, and um the family comes and they say, you know, rabbi, maybe you could do the funeral. We know he was a terrible guy. We know you've got nothing nice to say, but we'll pay you a lot of money if you could say something nice about him. The rabbi thinks about it for a moment. He says, sure, no problem. I'll do do the funeral for you. So the rabbi gets up at the funeral and he does the funeral for this terrible guy. Again, everybody knew him in town. And he starts speaking about this guy and he's going on and on. He was a cheat. He was a thief. He was horrible. Any any sin that you could think of, he did. And the family is just turning redder and redder and redder. The rabbi's not keeping his bargain. And finally, the rabbi ends his speech. But he says, but compared to his brother, this man was a saint. Okay. All right. So I'm sure you heard that one. But uh, <laughs> That's good. Oh, That, was good. That, one. that was good. Thank thank that was good. I never heard that one. That Remember was that one? Yep. Him. Yep. So <laughs> the rabbi, the rabbi <laughs> earned his pay. Okay. Keep that, keep that on the <laughs> list, rabbi. Keep that, okay. yeah, keep that on the list. All right, it's not the first time I've used it. You know, the problem is good jokes. You can't repeat too often because people actually remember them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bad one that you tried to forget. I could say again and again. Yeah. But um <laughs> and, why you, am I and, one? and you do. <laughs> and I do, I do, exactly. So why why am I saying this this joke? Uh because really, uh, that's obviously the discussion. Tanya wicked, righteous, you know, good, bad. And um we're really getting to the point in the Tanya where the Tanya is really going to tell us it doesn't really matter. I, you know, we've been saying this last, last couple of weeks, but it really doesn't matter how you judge yourself on the scale of righteous, wicked, and bane on As we've been discussing, what matters is the moment right now. What are you going to do? And all this ties into how the Tanya started. What was the first statement of the Tanya? The word Tanya actually means it was taught in a Brisa. Brisa is a type of Jewish teaching. The first line of the Tanya was, it's taught in a brisa." We don't have to know what brysa means, but it, it was taught in a brysa. You should be, they, they make you swear in heaven, you should be a tzaddik, and you shouldn't be wicked, and you shouldn't be a rashi, you shouldn't be wicked. And that is really the first line of the Tanya, which is basically telling you what it's going to talk about. And so that's really where we're up to, is that the Tanya basically tells you like this, be righteous. And as we're we're discussing now at the end of chapter 14, what does that mean? That means even though you will probably never be righteous, because unless you're born with the ability to be exotic, you'll probably never be exotic. But at the very least, try to be exotic. What does that mean? What is the defining character trait of exotic? exotic is someone who naturally loves God the way you love chocolate chip cookies, right? You don't ever have to, uh, Okay, you have to know about chocolate chip cookies, right? But you don't have to contemplate and meditate to want the chocolate chip cookie. It's it's a natural part of who you are. The tzaddik is someone who naturally loves God. They don't even have to work on it. It it it's it's natural to them. That's where they're at in life. Okay, they don't have a they don't have an evil inclination. Their only desire in life is their godly soul, loving God. Chapter one says reasonable. What? Chapter one says reasonable. What do you mean chapter one says reasonable? That your relationship should be reasonable. Your relationship with God? Yes. Well, I mean, chapter one says a lot of things. I was focusing specifically on the first line. Yeah, but that makes sense. I mean, it makes sense with what you're saying. It's like natural, right? That could be interpreted as reasonable. Well, I, well I'll get to it. What, what I'm saying, what I, I'll explain what I'm saying, I guess, just give me a few moments. So I think what I'm saying is it will become clear. What I'm trying to say is that is that a tzaddik is someone who naturally loves God, okay? So what it means for us to strive to be a tzaddik is that even though I don't have that natural tendency, I will do things that will make me be like a tzaddik. So I will think about God in ways that will help me feel the love that a tzaddik may feel, even though a tzaddik will always feel it, and I will only sometimes feel it. But that's what it means. I am working to be a tzaddik. It also works on the negative side. Working to be a could mean sometimes I think about how bad sins are for me, okay? You know, how how they won't gain me anything. So again, a tzotic, that's their natural state of being. In other words, a doesn't have to work on it. They don't have to contemplate to love God. They don't have to think to hate sin. We need to work on it, okay? So again, when 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 the Bryce says, they tell you to be a tzotic, what that means is, is that if you're not a natural tzaddik, you have to work on Uh, your love of God and your fear of sin or your awe of the king, awe of God. That's what it means. That's what it means to be a tzaddik in this context. And the tzaddik of a bain and it's not in the context of us, those who are not tzaddiks, when it it says be a tzaddik, it means do things that will enable you to look like a tzaddik. And the flip side of that is when it says don't be wicked, that means, and even though you may never get there, at the very least, don't sin, right? Because that's been the other discussion we've been having. We've been having a discussion that at the end of the day, we always have a choice of um, what we always have ultimately, the ultimate choice over our thought, speech, and action. So what I'm trying to say is that Tanya, and we'll summarize this soon, but the Tanya basically is telling you in your life, you pretty much have two two goals you're always working on. Number one, and by the way, which is number one, working on your love of God and working on your awe of God. And that comes through the mind. You have to work on your mind to contemplate things that help you have awe of God and love God. And on the flip side, um, you have to work on uh, at, at the very least, the baseline, trying not to sin. By the way, um, she's listening very intently. It's very nice to see everybody listening to my class. Um okay so uh oh, no. yeah thank you thank you so so adam does that clarify what i'm trying to say yeah because um it does step out of reasonable it's it it takes effort so correct correct it's correct. it, it's, it it's takes natural, effort you know you we could talk about that natural and then actually like making an effort not necessarily the same so they are not and that is going to be the discussion of chapter 15 perfect that's by the way going to be the proof with uh, something we've been discussing the last couple of weeks. The Tanya really doesn't obsess over whether you're a exotic or a Bainini, whether you're righteous or you're, or you're a Bainini, the middle person that never sins or you're Russia, you're wicked. The whole purpose of the Tanya is to help you serve God. That's really its purpose. It's not about how you classify yourself. That's not important. What's important is, um, are you serving God? That's that's really the question, and part of serving God is as I've just described, trying to be like a meaning working every moment to work on your love of God. Well, I shouldn't say every moment, because uh, we're not tzaddik, but working when you can on your love of God, and and when you can on your on your awe of God and fear of sin. Any questions or comments? And and I'm saying this all because this is really what the end of chapter fourteen is. Chapter fourteen really describes to us what we discussed in the beginning of chapter one this promise that we are that we are told when we're in heaven that we have to say that we're told we have to swear we will be a tzaddik and we will not be wicked and the tanya's basic question is like uh you know i mean we're not all going to be tzaddik so, so the answer is we have to strive to be a tzaddik and what that means is, is that we have to strive to work on our love of god and awe of god well i had a comment yes because you corrected yourself and you said, well, not every moment. But I think that if we strive every single moment to love God, to serve God, it's really about dipping into a deep love. Like it's not, I don't see it as like punitive, like I don't see it as a detriment to like want connection with him every second. I see it as like a, a longing, a craving for what's good for us. So the Tanya. so we haven't actually discussed in the Tanya yet. How you actually reach a love of God. So you said an interesting line. You said to to dip. I think you said to dip into your love or something like that. Uh the tanya actually hasn't described to us how to actually love God yet. It hasn't really spent I a lot meant of time. drop into, but I said dip, but whatever. It's whatever. Yeah. No, 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 I'll tell you it's an interesting line and it's related to the Tanya. The Tanya will, as the Tanya progresses, discuss different ways we can access our love of God. Again, if our if our job is to love God it's going to discuss different ways of accessing our love of God. And so what it will say is like this, it'll say there's deep levels of a flaming love of God that has to be worked on. And you probably don't always have the time to work on it. Then there's a natural love that is easier to access at any moment that you can. And that's why I said the word dip into that. You can, so to speak, dip into, you can, you can pull out pretty much any moment. And that's a lot easier. But again, that's that's all the discussions later on in the Tanya. So I guess what my reference was was that you can't have the love of a tzadik every moment. I Meaning the tzadik who has this flaming love of God every moment, we're not always going to be at that level. Okay. We're not gonna have that flaming love, uh, strong desire, love of God that the tzadik has at every moment. But what we can have is at least a base level of love at every moment. I'm not saying that that's easy, but that is possible. Uh, but again, that's for the discussion later in the Tanya. But the point of the Tanya is that. We have to actively work on our love of God. That's, in other words, don't think, in other words, if someone studied the Tanya till now, and they thought that Tanya was only obsessed about, you know, being a e, you would think, well, all I got to do then is making sure, make sure my thought, my speech, and my action, I, I just always do mitzvahs. And the Tanya is not not about that. The Tanya wants you to not only focus on on getting your thought, speech, and action aligned with God, it also wants you to focus on being a tzaddik, meaning work on your love of God. That's, in fact, going to be the next chapter all about, you know, somebody who serves God versus somebody who doesn't. But again, that's that's this is the point that that it's not enough just to not be wicked. That's not a goal. There's also a goal of, of trying to be righteous, meaning trying to work on our love of God. There are two goals. There are two important goals. Uh, and they're both important. They're both important. That's why when we're in heaven, we are, we are made to make those two promises. Be exotic, meaning work on your love of God and your awe of God and don't be wicked uh, make sure at the very least uh, you do the right, you make the right choices. Yes, Anita, you had a comment. Uh oh, you you read my mind. How did you? Well, know you you mind? you unmuted, so. Oh, that's why. Right. Okay, uh, so I was thinking Moshe Rabenu. He yeah. was actually a Benoni at the beginning and became a Tzaddik, didn't he? Like, wouldn't you kind of? I know it's a big study so, about this. But... I would say Moshe was born a Tzaddik only because, oh, again, really? I, where's my empirical evidence of that? Uh Like, I, I think I've said I know, in previous classes, right? Atsadik is something that somebody can grow into, right? Atsadik is a potential. They maybe, yes. you know, maybe they weren't born atsadik. The only reason I say Moshe okay. was possibly born atsadik is because we're told about Moshe. The moment he was born, the house was filled with light. Uh He oh, was born, it true. says he was born already circumcised.
1: Please, so things you. that are
0: said about Moshe that tell me that maybe he was born atsadik, but not every tzaddik is born a tzaddik. You could be correct over there. Some tzaddiks are born like us, and but they're, they've been given the potential to become a tzaddik. Okay, thank but, you, uh, Rabbi. Good question. Yeah, any any other questions or comments before we read the actual text? I gave this introduction because we were kind of in the middle of this point last week. And uh, the point is, as we're going to read, is that we are made the promise to be tzaddik, and part of that promise of being a tzaddik is to actively work on our love of God and the love of God that tzaddik has to 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 enjoy god so we're going to continue the chapter right now we're going to read about uh how we're supposed to work on uh trying to work on our enjoyment of So let's let's continue reading here so again this is part of our promise of trying to be exotic so it says like this in addition to your attempts to despise evil you should also carry out meditations in the opposite direction to take pleasure and joy in god by meditating on the greatness of the blessed, infinite light of God to the best of your ability. Now, I I just want to point out, there's multiple different meditations we can have about God. I'll just give you two, just to contrast. There's a meditation about God, how God is your life source, takes care of you, gives you what you need. That's not this meditation. This meditation is meditating on the greatness of the blessed, infinite light of God to the best of your ability, The reason why we're telling you this meditation is because the meditation focusing on yourself will not necessarily lead you to a great flaming love. uh, Whereas this will, because what makes a flaming love when something is beyond you, when something is so incredible, so beyond, uh, you have this, uh, right? You ever like had that moment where you feel just so blessed let's put it that way i don't know so lucky so like so undeserving right in other words what makes a flaming desire what makes a big desire is for things that are above and beyond not things that are within reach if you want to get a maybe a more crude example right when when, when people are dating sometimes you might say their love seems much more powerful why because uh you know they, each one seems out of reach of the other. So they're kind of you know reaching for something that seems so wonderful. And then as you get to know the person, you're like, oh, they're not so great anymore, right? Uh, it, tra- <laughs> it, 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 it transforms into a different type of love. But you get what I'm saying. There's a love of something that's beyond. So that's what it's saying here. But again, Natanya will discuss the specific meditations later. The point is that there are times when we need to meditate on God for the best of our ability, meditate on his greatness, and all this is to fill your oath to be exotic. You need to try A, to be disgusted by evil and B, to take real pleasure and joy in the worship of God. Practically, you do this by meditating on the ideas that will produce these emotions. By the way, the more you realize how how great God is, that helps you appreciate doing a mitzvah In other words, if God is so above and beyond that we're just a speck to him, yet nevertheless, he cares about us, that makes that my love of him is even greater. Um. Right? In other words think about um if your favorite i don't know it's a bad example i don't know whoever your favorite person in the world is uh, your favorite sports player your favorite um a politician no okay i'm kidding i, I don't know somebody your favorite your hero or maybe if you even if you go in the past find a hero you know and, and if you can meet them um obviously there's a moment of awe but if there becomes a connection it's there's a great love there as well uh but let's continue like this, even though you know deep down that you will never reach this level of pleasure and joy in the worship of God genuinely and consistently, those are two important words, genuinely and consistently, those are two separate things. So consistently we know if you're not a tautic, you're not going to have the consistent level of love that a tautic has. And what does he mean by genuine? Because this goes back to the discussion we had earlier. If you cannot always replicate it, it's not 100% genuine. Again, we discussed our truth, but meaning as far as a tautic goes, Tzaddik's loves has to be constantly be able to be replicated in order to be genuine. That's why I'm throwing that out there. But let's continue. Accept as a fond hope. So he's saying, so what's the point? He's asking, what's the point of working on your love of God? To be like Tzaddik if you'll never be Tzaddik? So he says like this, Nevertheless, you must do your best to fulfill the oath you were made to swear before birth to be Tzaddik. And God will do what is good in his eyes. So, Basically, he answered like this. The question is, why should I work on my love of God if I know I'm never going to reach the ultimate love of God? You know what the answer is? Because that's what God wants. Before you were born, God said, be exotic. Do your best. Try to love me as much as you can. So who are you to say, well, I'm never going to reach the ultimate? God knows that too. And God said, do your best. Do your best at trying to love me. That's what it's about. Try to do your best to love God. Again, to the question, what's the point? The answer is because that's what God wants. (laughs) That's what makes anything a point. God wants it. Then there's a point in there. So let's continue. You must do what you can to reach the elusive level of a tzaddik. Whether you succeed is up to God. But even if you do not succeed in becoming a tzaddik, these types of meditations will make... Now he's adding another point, which is an important point, which the Tanya doesn't say here clearly, but it says it elsewhere. Even if you do not succeed in becoming a tzaddik, these types of meditations. Maybe I guess I put on my headphones. These types of meditations will make the struggle of fighting the Aterar easier for you. Once you have at least tasted the higher states of emotional refinement, despising even of e- evil even a little bit, and taking pleasure in God even a little bit, the entire composition of the animal soul is weakened. You begin to crack its foundation. So, this is from the fifth Chabad Rebbe. The fifth Chabad Rebbe is adding on over here an important point, and he says. I also want you to know, in addition to the point that you should try to love God, because that's what God wants. There's a there's a benefit to you on a very practical level. If you work at loving God, automatically, you will not be chasing the worldly pleasures as much. If you work on your despising of evil, automatically, you will not be chasing the worldly pleasures as much. So, it's a very uh, simple point. I think it's made in other places in Tanya, Just he points it out of here in chapter seven. But uh, the Tanya makes this point elsewhere that that of course this is this is part of making your job easier. Uh, So again, in addition to trying to work on your love of God, because that's what God wants, you should work on it because that will make your struggle in life easier. So it's a twofold benefit. Now he says another point. So again, we've said so far two points why you should work on your love of God, even though you know you'll never reach the level of love of the tzaddik. Number one, God wants you to work on that love. He makes you promise before you're born. Number two, it'll help make your struggle easier. Now he's going to say a third thing. And also, even if your ability to despise evil and take pleasure in God lacks permanence and authenticity, ultimately the reality is that habit rules all. You know, there's a lot of books today about habits, right? What's it called? Atomic habits and all those things, right? he says, and a habit becomes second nature, so it will make it your habit to carry out meditations to detest evil. And then out of habit alone, you will begin to detest genuinely at least a little bit. Uh, I think most people here know the power of habits. If you don't, I'm sure you can read this. Lots of books out there today on habits, like I said, atomic habits or other habits. Anything you struggle with, right? Uh, You struggle with exercise. If you exercise for a while, it becomes a habit. It becomes easy. So... What he's saying here is the third thing is that even though your love of God will not be genuine to the level of atzadik, it'll be pretty good because think about the power of a habit. In other words, what he's trying to add here is that don't think every time you're going to go to meditate will be as hard as the first time. This is why he's telling you, keep trying, right? Again, what is Al the Altarabah coming to tell you with this line, right? Someone comes, so let's say someone comes to the, their rabbi and the rabbi tells them you've got to work on loving God the person says, I'm never going to get to that full love of God. So the altar is giving you different reasons why you should work on it. He says, number one, God wants you to do it. Number two, it'll help you in your struggle. Number three is telling you, don't think it's a waste of time. Because at the end of the day, the more often you work on your meditations and loving God, those meditations will become easier as time goes on. That that feeling of love that you get towards God. Albert, it's not perfect. It's not as perfect as a tzaddik. But they will become easier. And so it's, it's another... Um, inspiration. Another reason to give you to work on your love of God, to work on those meditations. Meditation is hard. Who wants to meditate? And, and also, by the way, you know, uh, today a lot of people are into meditation. I just want to point out when Al Rebbe wrote to Tanya, meditation was not popular in the Jewish world. The Jewish world was mostly about let's um let's study Torah and do mitzvahs. And the Alter Rebbe and, and Chabad Chassidus, I mean Chassidus in general, was talking about this love of God. So meditation wasn't so popular then in in Judaism. Uh, There were some people who did it, but for the most part, it was lost from a lot of world Jewry. You know, the Talmud talks about people who would meditate and contemplate about God, but in his time, in Altarpist's time, it wasn't so popular. And so he had to give reasons to people why they should meditate. I think today, a lot of people uh, know about the benefits of meditation. Obviously, there's um, meditation, which is not necessarily godly, but putting that aside um and we did give a course on meditation a couple of years ago but uh i have to say for myself i'm not a big meditation guy i don't really like meditation um but the tanya says this is uh what we have to do you have to meditate in ways that bring you to love god and by the way in order to meditate you need to study you have to know what to meditate about okay i can meditate about cookies because i know all about cookies I have lots of experience with cookies. How do you meditate about God? You have to study about God. That's why there's a whole body of Hasidic philosophy. This is why I keep saying the Tanya is the book of the what you have to do. It's not the actual doing it. Okay, so the Tanya is telling you have to meditate. But the Tanya is not necessarily actually the text of what you actually meditate about. So that you got to study other Hasidic books. That's why there's a whole library of Hasidic philosophy. You might say, well, why is the Tanya not good enough? This is an example that I'm telling you is that the Tanya... Is presenting to you reasons why you need to meditate, and the tanya may even give you small snippets of meditations. But ultimately, the long medit—what you actually think about—you have to study. You have to study more. All right, everybody, I'm giving you more work. Sorry about that. Okay, let us continue. Um, attaining some of the positive emotions of tzaddik, however, is more difficult since the above tactics we used for negative emotions won't work. Taking pleasure in God is not easy for people who are preoccupied with the experiences of the five senses. For this, you'll probably need special assistance from God. Okay, he's just making a point that that thinking about how sins are bad is an easier meditation than thinking about how God is great. Because God's a little bit, I, I would say, more thorough, you know? I think we can readily see why physical things aren't that great. They don't have good good long term uh, propositions. It's like the joke I've been saying recently, right? Uh, right? Ma- marriages, marriages are bad, right? Fifty percent end in divorce, and fifty percent end in death. Okay, no, but anyways, um, it's a joke. Sorry about that. But um, uh, you know, again, but looking at physical things in this world, one can readily see if you think about it for long, you know, long enough. There's not great. Uh, there's not great meaning in it. Even, even the secular world realizes that, by the way, today. A lot of the secular world talks about finding deeper meaning, you know, giving and, and, and charitable causes. Everybody's into today because everybody realizes that being a consumer itself is, is not a great long-term proposition and not enjoyable in the long term. All right, whoops, went the wrong way. Okay, let's uh, let's go back here. She says like this. Um, What he's going to say over here is that when you work on contemplating about God, God will give you a gift. Um, uh, well, let me read this. And when you will make it your habit to rejoice your soul in God through meditating upon the greatness of God, since with an awakening from below, there's an awakening of above, perhaps with all this effort, a ruach, a spirit will pour unto him from on high. It says like this. Unlike the negative emotions of the testing email, which you can learn yourself, the positive emotion of pleasurable rejoicing in God requires some additional spirit granted to you through the grace of us heaven. While this might come to you as a result of your sustained efforts, it is by no means guaranteed. This is why the Tanya stated earlier, a person does not have a significant degree of free choice whether he will experience a steady, pleasure, or love. What exact form does the spirit from on high take? And if this happens, you will merit the spirit of a soul root of a particular tzaddik will be impregnated into you, enabling you to genuinely worship God with joy. As the verse states, that only tzaddikim are with God. Soul impregnation is a kind of reincarnation that takes place during your lifetime where, by divine degree, a spark of your departed, a spark of a departed soul joins yours. When ibor occurs, you may be impregnated with a second dimension of spirit, often from a departed tzaddik, This enables you to acquire some of the departed tzaddik's qualities. So what he's saying here is a very interesting Kabbalistic concept which you may not have known. I think I mentioned it a couple of classes ago. And that is that when we discussed earlier that we don't have the, the, the choice to become a tzaddik or not to become a tzaddik. That is purely in God's power. But what he's saying here is that even if you don't have the ability to become a tzaddik, And even if God never gives you the tzaddik soul, what God can do for you is impregnate you with parts of a tzaddik soul that will allow you to have a deep love of God. So what I'm gathering from here, let me, see, I always understood the section of Tanya in one way. Now I'm reading it. I may understand it differently, but Let me just say how how I always understood. The way I always understood this piece of Tanya was saying like this, is that even though some of us are born without the potential of being exotic, even though some of us don't have that ability, which we've discussed, right? We've discussed being exotic is something you have to be born with, the ability to become exotic. It is possible if you serve God hard enough, long enough, difficult enough, that God will choose to give you a gift and give you a new soul in addition to your current soul, that will allow you to become a That's how I always understood this section. In other words, again, even if you're born without the ability to become a there's still value in working on becoming a because it's possible that God will give you a gift of an additional soul inside of your current soul to be a The way I'm reading it now is he seems to be saying something slightly different than that. He seems to be saying... At least the way he's translating it, and I'm not sure it's correct or not. I'm just presenting it sounds like it's possible that if you work hard enough and long enough, even if you will never become a tzaddik, you will get certain quality traits of the tzaddik, maybe even some of the time. In other words, what it's what I think you might be saying here in this translation is that even if you even if you don't have the ability to become a tzaddik because you're not born with that soul. God may grant you the ability sometimes to have the level of love that, that a Tzaddik has. An interesting way of looking at it. Now, you'll remain the bainini. You'll remain with your animal soul. You will remain, notice what he's saying is, you will remain with your animalistic soul. You will still have the struggles. But in addition to being the bainini type of person, meaning person always has struggles, you will also have the ability to have the love of a Tzaddik because you will be imbued with certain qualities that normally are reserved only for tzaddikim. Okay? So another interesting way of looking at it. Either way, regardless of how you translate this, this, and if you lost what I'm trying to say, that's okay. His point is like this. His point is, work on be getting the love of a tzaddik. And he's now giving you four reasons to work on getting the love of a tzaddik. Number one... God wants you to work on your love. Number two, it'll help you in your struggle. Number three, uh, the more you meditate and focus on your love of God, the easier it'll get because it will become second nature. And number four, it's possible God will give you a gift and you will gain the love of a tzaddik. Whether that means you'll fully become a tzaddik or whether that means you'll be a with tzaddik love, I'm not sure. But regardless, that's the fourth reason. Saying... That it's possible, even though you're not born that way, you will be given the the gift of the love of a tzaddik. So again, four reasons to work on your love of God to a deep level of love, even if you will never get to the love of a tzaddik. At least you don't think so. Okay. Can I ask a question real quick? Yes. Can you distinguish um, generally the added soul we're given on Shabbos? And so it just reminds me of that. I know it must be different, but... Yeah, it is different. Uh, very good question. All right, so Anita is asking a question. We are told that on Shabbos we are given an additional soul. That is why um, that is why we say that, uh, you know, after Shabbos, we smell the spices, the and One of the reasons we smell the spices after Shabbos is we're told that additional soul leaves us, therefore mm-hmm. we feel very faint. So mm-hmm. we smell the spices to waken us up because... Um, so the answer to your question is it's different. And the difference is that the extra soul we get on Shabbos is not a different soul. It is a deeper dimension of our soul. Oh, that's okay? good. Okay, thank you. Yes, as opposed to this, which sounds like it's a soul of a totally different soul. Totally different thank branch of a soul. Thank but, you. Uh, very, very good question. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else has any questions? Uh, because in a moment we're going to sum this up and give you the takeaway from this chapter nope no questions okay so let's take a look here all right so he ends off here and then you will have truly fulfilled the oath where you made the swear okay you'll be inside okay all right, if you get that extra song okay let us read conclusions of chapter 1 to 14. so here he sums it out nicely the first 14 chapters of the tanya stand out as a self-contained unit because it is here the author <clears throat> lays down the core elements of his worldview, <clears throat> principles on which the rest of the book is based. The series of questions posed in chapter 1 are finally answered in chapter 13 and 14, providing closure to the interim discussions. Chapter 1 to 14 also represents Rabbi shneir Zalman's advice to a problem, which was probably shared by most people seeking his advice. Put succinctly, the question was probably something like this. Rebbe, however hard I try to connect to God, I feel like a failure. I want to come close to God, but even when I succeed in my religious practice, which is probably not always, my inner demons still bother me. I have peak moments when I feel close to God, but they are not sustainable. What should I do? Will I ever succeed? In a nutshell, the Tanya's answer in chapter 1 to 14 is... You have both conscious behavior, thought, speech, and action, as well as a deep emotional core. That's our souls, right? The souls and their and their character traits and their intellect. The Torah and its mitzvot guide you in how to connect your conscious behavior to God in the most profound way possible at every moment of your life. That's where your focus should be. Your deep core will probably never change and will continue to taunt you with selfish urges for the rest of your life. But that doesn't mean you failed. Actually, the fact that you can't completely change your deep core means that it's not your mission in life. The purpose of your existence is to fulfill your soul's promise. A. Connect your conscious behavior to God at every moment. Don't be a russia. Don't be wicked. And B... This is an important point people lose, and that's what I was harping on earlier. To develop the strongest emotional connection to God that you can. Try your best to be exotic. It will probably always be a struggle, but God has tremendous Mm -hmm. pleasure from your ongoing efforts. Mm -hmm. B is an important point. A lot of people miss. It'll become clear in chapter 15. But again, the point is that... In addition to working on trying to never sin and doing making the right decisions, we also have to spend time working on our love of God. And as we presented today, four benefits in working on your love of God. Number one, God wants that. Number two, it'll help you in your struggle. Number three, it'll become second nature. The meditation will become easier. And number four, maybe God will grant you a gift of having the soul of a tzaddik. Um... That concludes chapter 14, which will bring us to the all-important chapter 15. Any questions or comments in chapter 14? Nope? Okay. Now the Tanya is going to tell you clearly that our mission in life is not just to make the right decisions. Our mission in life it's to serve God. That's why we're born. That's why we're here. Someone was asking me today, you know does God does God get a kick out of uh testing our patience something like that? And that's almost you know, put, put me in that line. uh based on today's uh, Tanya chapter, maybe, you know, I don't know if necessarily testing your patience or testing something else, but the point is that um if serving God comes easy to you, maybe you're not serving God. You know, we, we we God wants that um, we should serve Him. That's what He wants. He wants that it should be hard work. Um, if you study just the Torah, and maybe you studied, you know, the first thirteen chapters of Tanya, maybe not fourteen, you might come away from the Tanya believing not not the end of the chapter we just read, but again, the other chapter of the time, you might come away believing that our jo- goal in life is to be a bainani. Our goal in life is to make sure we always make the right choice. Always choose the right thought, speech, and action. Never choose the wrong thought, speech, and action. That's my goal in life. That's why chapter 15 jumps in right after chapter 14. Because Asania wants to tell you, don't get lost in the weeds. Tadik, Russia, Benini. That's just to lay out who you are and what your capabilities are. Your real goal is to serve God. And he's going to prove his point. He's going to prove his point through different verses, but he's going to get to this idea, this all-important idea that our goal in life is to serve God. So Let's take a look at this chapter, this all-important chapter, chapter 15. It says like this. In chapter 13, we learned that the experience of the e can occur at many levels. There is the default, uninspired Benini, the bainini at study and prayer, This chapter will broaden the discussion to include various classes of Bainanese differing in levels of effort they invest. We will learn that it is possible for some Bainanim to maintain their status with very little effort, while others must struggle greatly. This will lead to discussion about the importance of effort in worship. And that is the discussion here, the importance of effort in worship. How important is effort? If you go to a court case. Do they care about your effort? Does it make a difference? Not really. Um. The question is what's been done, right? Effort in this world doesn't count for much. I mean, it counts, you know, maybe your your parents might look at your effort, but uh, results, we're a results-oriented society. But God is the true judge. God counts your effort. And that's a double-edged sword. What do I mean? On the one hand, if maybe you're not super righteous, but you put in a lot of effort, in other words, maybe you're not, you don't look so holy, you put in a lot of effort, God counts that for a lot. Conversely, in areas of your life where it comes easy and you're not putting in a lot of effort, once again, it doesn't count for as much. So effort works both ways. We have to remember that. And, and it applies in each and every single one of us because there are areas of our life where we have to put in a lot of effort and there are areas we have to put a minimal effort. And so we have to look at ourselves in the areas where we're putting in a lot of effort and saying not to be too harsh on ourselves. And conversely, areas where we're not putting in a lot of effort and saying, you know, I, sh- I should put in a little more effort because it's not just about doing the right thing. It's about... Serving God and doing a little bit better each time. So, let's 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 read over here. Based on this definition that a Benini is a person who never transgresses, we can explain the verse. And this is a verse from Malachi. Anybody heard of Malach? Malachi? He was one of the prophets. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very few people have read his prophecies, but he was one of the prophets, and he writes like this. And you will again see the distinction between a tzaddik and a rasha, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. Now, if you read this verse, at first glance, you might say, well, the tzaddik is the one who serves God, and the rasha is the one who doesn't serve God. But then the question is, so why does it repeat it? The uh, scripture is, typically doesn't repeat things unless there's a uh, valuable insight to be gained. That's what all the commentaries do. All the commentaries on the Torah and the prophets, they'll they'll take a verse and say, "Why does it repeat this in different words?" The, the the Torah is not a book of synonyms, okay? Torah is not a book of uh, um, it's not a thesaurus, right? Thesaurus—that's the word, right? Thesaurus has as, as uh, you know, it's not a thesaurus, okay? It's the Torah tells you something twice. There's a reason for it. And and the same thing with the prophets, by the way. So he says like this. The difference between one who serves God and a tzaddik is the one who serves God is a verb in the present tense. And the use of the verb suggesting that this person is an ongoing process of worship. Namely, the war with the Yitzhar with the evil inclination to overcome it and chase away from the body, the small city, meaning the Yitzhar should never influence any of his body's limits. So he's saying something unbelievable. He's saying, in essence... There is someone who served God and there's someone who is serving God. Right? It's like the difference between someone who is who is a scholar and someone who is studious, if you want to put it that way, right? Someone who's a scholar can mean someone who once studied a lot of stuff. But a studious person, and in Hebrew it comes out much better. A studious person is someone who's actively studying. So the same thing he's saying here is a tariq is someone who's already overcome his Yatzar Hara. So a tzaddik is not the same. It's not a repetition. These lines here, you will see between the tzaddik and a rasha, between one who serves God and one who doesn't serve God, it's not a repetition. Because the tzaddik is not the one who is currently serving God, meaning fighting his evil inclination. So now you might understand like this. So let's let's take a look because we're going to read it again. The tzaddik is someone who served God. They fought their evil inclination, but now they're finished. The Rasha is someone who obviously is not fighting his evil inclination. The one who's serving God would be a Bainani because he's currently actively fighting his evil inclination. So then the question is, what is this last one? Who is the person who does not serve God? And the answer to Tanya is going to be, this is a natural ben This is someone who's not a Tzaddik. He can't be a Tzaddik because we already said Tzaddik up here. He's not wicked because we said the wicked person up here. And so he's going to discuss that it's going to be a Bainini, but a Bainini who doesn't serve God. So how is he a Bainini? And the answer is because it all comes natural to him. He naturally likes to learn. Maybe he grew up religious. He likes to learn. He's not excited about food and worldly pleasures. And so that is going to be his point. And then what he's going to come on to, and this is what's amazing. This is why I'm showing you this, is what he's going to say is just as the difference between a Tzaddik and a Russia is vast. Similarly, the difference between one who serves God and one who does not serve him is vast. Meaning, just as a tzaddik is is great compared to a wicked person, the one who serves God is vastly superior to the one who doesn't serve God. Meaning like this, even if you make all the right choices, but you're not working on it, even if you never sin, okay, and, and, and you always study and you always do the message, you're a complete banyanee. But you're not serving God because you're not working, because it all comes natural. You are as far from a from a that serves God as a Russia, as a wicked person is from a tzadik. And so his point is, as you're gonna say, is the point is that our purpose in life is to serve God. Now, right? That's that's his point ultimately. That's what this verse is trying to tell you. Just as there's a giant, vast gap between a tzadik and a Russia. There's a vast gap between someone who does all the right things but is serving God and someone who does all the right things but is not serving God. That's why it's so important, as I said, chapter 15 is all about telling us that our mission in life is to serve God. I want to just mention one more thing. You might ask a question, what's the point of a tzaddik if they're called not serving God? And my answer to to you will be, when you'll be a tzaddik, you'll know. Tzaddik's have (laughs) missions. and it's not a fight with their evil inclination it's going higher whatever it's a discussion for another time it's really if any of you want to be exotic, i guess what i'm trying to say is that it's it's a theoretical question because none of us at least in this class that i know of are exotic. so i don't think we should spend the time on that all right so let's 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 continue reading here as he explains what i just what i just told you it says like this the difference between one who serves God and a tzaddik is the one who serves God as a verb in the present tense. The use of verb suggesting this person is in an ongoing process of worship. And I'm going to skip to the bottom of the page because we already read the rest of that. This truly requires a tremendous struggle and effort to constantly fight with it. So it turns out that the one who serves God who is in the midst of the ongoing struggle is actually the ba'inani. But the tzaddik is usually referred to by the noun, a servant of God. That's a fascinating thing. His point scripture calls righteous people servants of God in the noun form. And we are called serving God in the verb form because we are actively serving God. So he explains, which is the title, like a scholar or a king that has already achieved, Indicating the person has already become a scholar or a king. Here too, the use of a noun implies that this person has already served God and completely finished his labor of fighting with the evil in him, to the extent he's driven it away and it's gone from him, and he is a tzaddik whose heart is empty within him. He has no yetzer or left side of his heart. Wow! Uh, now I'm blown away by the technicalities. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, maybe I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Expect the same of you, but again, it's just an amazing. That's what I love about commentary, the amazing, you know, pick up on the nuance, the nuance, you know, using the word serving God as a noun versus a verb. Tzadik is someone who is a servant of God, the noun, because they've already served God. Like a scholar, using the word scholar. And us, Bainanese, we are called serving God because we're actually fighting the evil inclination. Now he says like this. And by the way, just by the way, you you can be a russia and also serve God, meaning when you're not sinning, when you're fighting your evil inclination, Mm -hmm. you're at that moment serving God. Just pointing that out. Don't think, you know, anyways. So let's read. Our verse then mentions three categories. One is the tzaddik, two is the russia, the wicked person, and three is the one who serves God, the benini. But who does the fourth statement, one who does not serve God, represent? We seem to have already covered every category, righteous, wicked, benini, intermediary. A tanya will demonstrate that one who does not serve God represents an, an other inferior type of Benini who makes a negligible effort to maintain his status. And that's what I explained to you before. With the Beninim, there are also two levels, one who serves God and one who does not serve him. The Benin who does not serve God is nevertheless not a Rick, wicked, not a rasha, because he never committed even a minor transgression in his life that has not been atoned for. And he has also observed every mitzvah that was possible for him to observe, including the study of Torah, which is equal to them all. And he does not allow his mouth to stop studying. In other words, like I said, the guy who doesn't serve God cannot be wicked because we already said that category. He's someone who never, ever sins. So why is he called someone who doesn't serve God? So his issue is, but despite absolute mastery over thought, speech, and action... This Bainini is classified as one who does not serve God for the simple reason because he is not actively fighting his Yetzar at all to overcome it, i.e. he is not making use of the godly light which shines on his divine soul within his brain to empower himself to rule over the urges of his heart as described above. Again, he is not in an act of fight. The Benini does not serve God because he's not actively at war with his yetsar. He does not bother to employ techniques as discussed in chapter 13 to maintain control over his animal soul. Now he gets to the million dollar question. So how does he maintain control? So he answers. Because in his, in this case, or I should say in his case, his Yates or Harad doesn't challenge him at all to draw him away from a study or to wor- his worship so he doesn't have to fight at all. What would cause a Yetzirah evil inclination to be benign like this? The cause could be, for example, a person whose inherent nature is to study constantly, Due to an abundance of black bile, which leads to analytical and serious temperament, according to the ancient science of humoralism mentioned in the Zohar, as well as a person who doesn't have to wrestle with a strong desire for women because he is passionateless by nature, and likewise with other worldly pleasures, he naturally lacks a strong feeling of enjoyment. So he explains like this. All Yetzirahs are not the same, and some put up a weak fight, while a minimal level of love and reverence of God is still necessary to stay on track. Those emotions could come naturally without the need for a major spiritual work. Such a case is called one who does not serve God. And I want to say, by the way, you might look at this person and say, well, I'm never going to be that. what I'm going to tell you is that even the point of this chapter is not, again, even though it's discussing absolutes, don't think in absolutes. In other words, we can have elements of this in our own lives. There are parts of our lives where we struggle and serve God, and there are parts of lives where we're not struggling. And maybe we need to, Work on uh, upgrading our our uh, service of God. By the way, later in Atanya, we even say there are sometimes where God gives us challenges, not because you've done anything wrong, but because He wants to upgrade your service of God. And since I guess you weren't doing it on your own, God's given you a challenge to upgrade your service of God. So that's again a very practical takeaway from this: is that you know where are the elements of my Judaism where I've become uh, too comfortable. Where you know it's just become too easy. Um let me just read these next two paragraphs and I'll about the story. All right, so this is like this. Therefore, since the are offers a negligible pull, he doesn't need to meditate too much on the greatness of God for his faculty of cognition, being able to produce a sense of recognition, das, as we discussed in chapter three. And consequently, that das gives rise to reverence in his God in his mind and trepidation in his heart, so he has to be careful not to transgress any prohibitions, all this logic and necessary, since is Okay. He's just saying, basically, he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to meditate. This guy doesn't need to meditate because it's so easy for him. Neither does he need to meditate to stir up a love of God in his heart, to inspire himself to connect to God through observing the commandments, including the study of Torah, which is equal to them all. Uh, actually, I should read these other two paragraphs before I tell you the story. Again, I'm not getting into the details of the meditations because the Tanya discusses them later at length. Rather, the Yatsar of this being is so negligible that all he needs to do to avoid its allure is the dormant love found in the heart of all Israel, who are called lovers of God. Therefore, this being cannot in any way be called one who serves God because the existence of this dormant love in his soul was not brought about by him, nor is it in any way his achievement. Rather, it is our spiritual inheritance from a patriarchs to the whole of Israel, as we discussed below in chapter 18 and 44. All right, so we get the idea. We get the idea, and again, we're gonna we're gonna jump in next week to discuss this more. The point is that you can have someone who is doesn't make any sins, but is not called serving God because um because it's easy for him next week we'll discuss another scenario of how someone could could get this, but the general point you get I'm just running out of time and I want to say this story. The point is that it's possible that we can um serve God uh sorry, do everything right and not not be serving God, and that's an important thing that we have to remember so the story goes like this that brings across this whole idea. And this story was told by Rabbi Shapti Slavatiski. He's the Chabad Shaliach in Brussels, Antwerp. And he tells a story like this. Um, one day he had a Jew that came into his office and said, Rabbi, I have to confess. He says, I'm not a priest. We don't do confessions. But anyways, he says, Rabbi, I have to tell you something. It's something terrible that happened to me. So he tells him, my name is Eliyahu, I'm a member of your congregation. and And a couple months ago, uh, you inspired me to keep the Shabbat. And um, so I, I started to keep the Shabbat. And I have to tell you, Rabbi, keeping Shabbat is not easy for me because I run a retail store and closing a retail store on Shabbat is very hard, but I closed the store. But he said, most weeks it's not a big issue because the store is not so busy. Because the Rabbi, you have to know this past Shabbat is like the biggest business day of the year. It's the day when we make the most money. And everybody's busy out there with sales. And, this, you know, it's like what you, what you might call in America Black Friday. You know, Black Friday. You know, it's like Black Friday. He says, Rabbi, you should know this is the biggest day. But he says, you know, but I made the decision I'm going to be closed on Shabbat. So I, I, uh, I was closed on Shabbat. You know, I wasn't going to work on Shabbat. But he said, but then... Uh, you know, I went, uh, you know, I did my Friday night and Shabbat day, I went to synagogue. And he says, after I went to synagogue, um, I decided, you know what, let me walk through the marketplace to see what's going on. And he says, I started to walk through the marketplace and I see everybody doing so much big business, making so much money. And I see my store, they're all closed. And I was crushed. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm just like, wow, look at all the money I'm losing. And he says, it didn't help that I saw my friend he says, hey, Eliyah, what's going on? Why are you not opening your store? I ran home. I made kiddush for my family. I didn't know what to do. So I, I, I went into my room. I took a bottle of vodka. I drank the whole bottle of vodka. And I slept for the rest of Shabbos. I missed Mincha. I missed Mayrev. I didn't wake up until the next morning. Rabbi, what can I do for this sin of drinking away the Shabbos? And Rabbi Slavatsky told him, you need to do teshuva. You need to do repentance, my friend. Let me tell you what my Shabbos is. My Shabbos is easy. I grew up religious. Friday night, I sit down with my family. Shabbos morning, I go to shul and I I go to mikvah. Then I go to shul and I daven. Then I have a Shabbos meal. I take a Shabbos nap. I study with my friends. I eat the final meal of Shabbos. I daven Marv. Shabbos is over. Shabbos is easy for me. What more can I ask for in life? For you. Shabbos was a struggle. Shabbos was difficult. There's no greater keeping of Shabbos than what you did this Shabbat by um, by <laughs> deciding to uh, you know drink all that vodka on Shabbat. And so that's a beautiful story that I think is is a beautiful takeaway. Is that um, it's not about what you do. It's not about the actions as much as the effort. Again, the actions are important, but the effort. Is just as important. And um, God looks at our effort. And again, we are judged by God. And God says, I want you not just to do the right things, but I want you to serve me. I want it to be with the effort. I want to know that um, this is something that you worked on. And so, again, that's a powerful takeaway for each and every single one of us is number one, how we judge ourselves. Remember the effort that's required. And uh, find those areas of life that we can upgrade our love of God. And uh, finally, I want to say that even Abraham was judged by this barometer. Uh, Abraham, when he had the 10th test, when he was tested with the binding of Isaac. God told Abraham after he passed the test, what did God tell Abraham? He says, now I know that you fear God. Question: all the commentators ask is why suddenly now does God know he didn't serve God before and the answer is that everything Abraham did till then could have been his nature but to go and be willing to sacrifice your son is is against anybody's nature and so God says now I know that you're really a servant of God and so that's what we have to do is that uh, work uh, uh, on our service of God really serving God and stop getting too obsessed about If we've done everything right, every moment, am I serving God? That's where the magic happens. That's the end of my recording, and uh, I'm going to stop there.